0: Well, now anybody can put anything on Facebook or Twitter or now Parler. And everybody who can crawl out from under a rock on either side of the politics can express themselves and find followers. It's a mess.
1: Hi, I'm Gina Cerrito, and I'm here with my co-hosts Lynn White and Judy Licht. We're the News Broads, Broads casting about the news and all things media. We're here to give you insights on how it all works. A look at the news you won't find anywhere else.
2: These are controversial times for media. It's under attack by protesters and police. 71 million people in this country believe the news is fake. This after four years, of course, of the president screaming all news is fake news. Well, he's now even claiming that his ally, Fox News, is guilty of fake, all because his
3: election went perfluy. You know, you say that, but I think what we really have here is a credibility issue. What he's done is to redefine the media and basically say that there is no credence in what you hear vis-a-vis the media. And those are dangerous precedents to set. And my real question here is, how do you stop that? How do you reverse that? Or do we? Because if we don't, then where do we draw the line between what is real and what really is fake? In other words, we have a
1: fact problem now because of that. So, and, you know, is it too late? Is this something that the newsrooms can't turn back time, can't go back to what they were? And we have that question as the news bras and are lucky to have Ed. Kosner, working as editor in chief for many, many newsrooms over many, many years. And we can't wait to find out what he says.
2: Of course, Ed, as, as you probably know, has been editor-in-chief of Newsweek, where he covered the Watergate uh, story big time. He's also been the editor-in-chief of New York Magazine, Esquire, the New York Daily News. Uh, he's the author of a terrific book about his life in the news business. And he writes now, he does book reviews and writes for the Wall Street Journal, uh, the New York Review of Books, and commentary. Whoa. <laughs> uh, listen, Ed. You, you heard our conversation. You know, Trump really has, has led the brigade. Um, but there really is a huge lack of respect for media. And it started even before Trump. He just made it 100 times worse.
0: Of course. And I was going to say that, remember, it started with George Wallace. George Wallace was uh, attacking the press. That was part of his campaigning. Uh, and Spiro Agnew. And Sarah Palin. But they were all, in their way, peripheral characters. Trump is the main act. And he he's relentlessly, remorselessly attacked the press. The consequence is that he's not only driven the country crazy, he's practically driven the cr- the press crazy. And they talk about Trump derangement syndrome. And it's true. But it's not the fault of the victims, it's the fault of the perpetrator. He actually has, he made life so difficult for the Times and the Washington Post and the other straight media, the, what we call of the legacy media, that they have been struggling to how to deal with him. And what they settled on, which I think was the right decision, is to report everything that he said and done. No matter how nuts and crazy, and to investigate everything, and I think they've done a wonderful, wonderful job and And history will show that the Trump era was properly recorded, reported and properly rendered. Uh, and over time, truth will win out
1: so then why does the why is everyone hating so much on the media if if what you think? is that they're doing right.
0: Well, everyone isn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. <laughs> <And Ooh. laughs> you Remember, you have, on the other side, you have Fox, you have uh, America One Network, you have uh, whatever that other thing is, um, Newsmax, right. Right, and they have been spewing out garbage, lies, repeating Trump's lies for five years.
3: But then people believe the lies. How do you change their minds?
0: I don't think you can. I think Trump will go away, and I don't believe that he's going to be a big major force in politics and in media. I believe he will fade away, and Trumpism, such as it is, will remain, but without Trump, who's a unique figure in American politics and and, and popular entertainment, without him, without the star, the whole act sags. That's my belief.
2: And I have to question your belief. Uh, Not disagree, but question it. Uh, You know, there was this, I believe there has been terrific media bias. Uh, On the part of the legacy media, we all know that we've always had uh, opinion media, you know, when New York had seven newspapers, everyone but the Times was guilty of at least editorially having a bias. But right now, I think they're in the coverage of the legacy media, the New York Times, the major networks. Um, There has been incredible bias. And I think we talked to... um, Ken recently about this. And he agreed that there, there are two Americas right now. And I don't think Trump, Trump going away may lessen the, the turbulence involved with it. But I think there are two different groups of people in this country who distrust each other. And the red people, the Trump followers, I think he only was able to be successful because he tapped into a sentiment that was already
0: there. I agree, I agree with that. But it's but always been there you know and uh, and those people were skeptical of the press in for a long time it was trump that inflamed their normal response and is is in my judgment guilty for the polarization and the rest. I really feel that way.
3: But what happens now? The polarization does not die with him, right? And he is the to it will either the-
0: resolve itself or it will come to a crisis. Yeah. And I don't I don't think I'm going to live long enough to know which the answer is going to be. I believe in truth and I believe in reporting and I believe that in the end truth finds its way, if only in history. And this period where you know, the The great book that's going to be written, unfortunately David McCullough I think is too old to do it, but someone is going to write a great 550 page book about the Trump era, the equivalent of McCullough's book about Truman. And it's going to be read 20 years from now and 30 years from now. And people are going to be astounded at this freakish period that we went through.
1: If you are okay. an editor in a newsroom right now, yeah. knowing that that's likely the future, how do you do that?
0: Well, I, I'm very pleased by the way that, and you see, I'm not sharing your orientation, either any of you. I'm very pleased that the Times and the Washington Post decided, for instance, that they were gonna use the verb lie. They were confronted with 20,000 plus lies. And they did it around and dicked around. And finally, they realized they have to say the man lies. What nobody seems to understand is that this has been an unprecedented provocation. There's never been anything in our lifetime remotely like this. And because there was no social media in the past and none of these other means of distribution, there's never been anything like this ever in the history of the country.
3: But there has been a Fox TV, the precursor to uh, red state, blue state media, and they have forever spewed what some people view as lies. And then you have what some people call lies on the other side, which is the mainstream media, which some people don't find as factual on that side of the aisle. So you word MSNBC. You know, you
0: have to also go back a little bit into history. The American press was basically partisan. Yep. Until, you know, around the time that we were born. Little before the time that we were, around that time. American newspapers weren't straight. I mean, Jefferson and Adams had their own guys that they paid. They had propagandists who were editors of publications. The Hearst Press was right-wing and distorted. All the way through. Pulitzer was no bargain either, nor was Horace Greeley. So the era that we're responding to was a freakish period the 1940s and 50s and early 60s. And then things have reverted to the prior condition of partisanship in the press, except now the press is so much more powerful and there is so much more to be called the press television, social media, and the rest, my view.
3: Where does that leave us as a nation that's trying to get back on track, be a little more united maybe, and really in media, solve the problem of fact, right, Um, versus fiction?
0: Well, you know, you can't uh, make people take the medicine that they don't want. When I was editing Newsweek, the publisher took me out for lunch when things were going very well. And we had a martini. We're sitting in one of those lunch clubs in Midtown from Mad Men, from that kind of era. And the guy takes the martini, points it to me, says, Ed, the dogs like the dog food, which was the greatest compliment I ever got as an editor, commercial. The dogs have to like the dog food. If the dogs don't like the dog food, they're not going to eat it. So we easy. may go on this way, and you can say if you want to be apocalyptic, it will go on until there's some terrible thing that happens that sobers everybody up. But maybe that won't happen. Maybe this will just be the nature of the Amer- American politics and American media for the next 20 years. And it's unpleasant, and it will weaken the country. But there are certain things that can't be changed. You know, you can't make people say, oh, I was wrong to listen to Sean Hannity for 20 years.
2: Ed, I have to interrupt though. Uh, You know, it sounds to me like in the previous part of your answer, you gave the media a pass, understanding that because they were provoked, they did err on the side of judgment. Therefore, you know, I, I agree totally with your conclusions and observations. But I have to say that you are giving the media a pass for taking this temporary period of lunacy time under Trump to be a little biased.
0: Well, I have a um, I have a motto, and the motto is you can't tell the story without telling the story. And I think that the Times and the Washington—I'm not giving everybody a pass. There's a lot of junk out there, but I think in general. The Times and the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal on its news pages have done a good job of reporting this period. And uh, I don't, I, you know, read Michael Shear's story. I think it was yesterday's lead story about Trump's conduct in the, after the election. You read, it's a news story, it's the lead news story, and it reads like an analysis. What used to be called news analysis—they used to have a little bug there, but now it's now as running as a news story. And I was thinking exactly what you were talking about as I read this story. I said, "Gee, this wouldn't have been written this way ten years ago." But then I said to myself, "How else do you honestly write it?" And what we're seeing is the press describing conduct that's so out in the spheres that people are shocked by it and they think that the media is making it up, but they're not making it up. They're reporting what's actually this guy is doing and has done.
3: And and you know what, what I, I have a, a train of thought about that. I think that we have been so dumbed down as a nation. Reality TV, number one place that people go to for entertainment, he was a reality TV star. So of course, the you know, the next inclination is a reality TV star president. You know who he is. He's entertaining. Yes, he's brass. He doesn't follow the rules. But that's what they want to see a train wreck. And that's, that's it. it was taken to the highest level.
0: That's exactly right.
3: Us as a country to pick up the pieces and us as a media to pick up the pieces. Because I now do, you have to. I,
0: no, I have no answer for you. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's soluble. At this
2: point. Alin, I think that you're right in all of what you said, except that he was successful, not just because he's entertaining and he's, you know, we are dumbed down as a culture, but you have to understand, I think, in my opinion, and I think in the opinion of some people I will mention now, that we, East Coast, well-educated liberals, all look at the rest of the country who follow him and he may have tapped into their wanting to give the finger to the other part of the country and they want to give the finger to the other part of the country because frankly we do see them as fascists as rednecks as people who don't share necessarily our cultural values nevertheless they're almost half the country. You look at the map, and the vast middle is red, and the two coasts are blue. So you've got journalists, and I, and I really want to make this point. You've got journalists, Ed, we've, we've spoken about this very briefly before, but you've got journalists who are respected, like Andrew Sullivan, who considers himself, you know, a, 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 you know he's an intellectual, he's conservative, but with a small C. He doesn't like Trump. Um, you've got people who, he left New York Magazine because a column he wanted to write um, on Black Lives Matter, was they said, no, we can't deal with that because it's it's not right. They've got Matt Taibbi who left Rolling Stone and Matt Taibbi is an iconoclast. He's not left or right wing, I don't think. And he left because he felt there was this woke culture that wouldn't uh, tolerate certain views that he expressed and these were not revolutionary. You've got um, the woman at the Times who we spoke about with Ken Oletta, who was on the editorial page, who left- Barry Weiss. uh, Yeah, Barry Weiss, who who left because one of the editorial, her boss was fired because one of the editorials was allowed from Tom Cotton, a Republican, uh, that they didn't feel was woke. This was an opinion page thing. This wasn't even an article. And so you've got all these people who complain about a liberal orthodoxy.
0: Well, we're talking about two. We're talking about two different things. How so? I was talking about the news coverage of Trump. I'm not talking about the editorial coverage of Trump and the con- and the conduct in some of the media companies, which I think is terrible. The, the uh, a publication, we'll, we'll talk, obviously, about the Tom Cotton hotbed. Um, but, you know, a magazine, a newspaper, or a newscast has to be edited. It's not a democracy. You know? It's run by the editor, and the editor sets the tone. He should be receptive to the staff. But in the end, he or she who is running the show... Runs the show. And what's happened is it's turned into a zoo in many of these publications. Now, I don't think that that's hurt the hard news coverage very much. I would do- in terms I would- of other issues of media bias, I agree with you.
2: Yeah, I mean, the point is let's take out the, the opinion page, the Barry Weiss, Tom Cotton issue. I, I think we all agree that that probably was a mistake, but let's talk about people like. Matt Taibbi, like like Andrew Sullivan, people who I mean wrote an article. Ed, if you let me ask you a question, you were the editor, a very successful editor, at New York Magazine for over twelve years, and there are dogs barking. Um, But the bottom line is, your
3: fan club. (laughs) The dogs like
0: the dogs.
2: They have an opinion too. We don't know what what side they're on, red or blue. the point is, would you have allowed an article... Now, I know it's an unfair question in that you haven't actually seen the article, but would you have allowed Andrew Sullivan writing about Black Lives Matter and um, a lot of the protests, would you have allowed it, as long as he wasn't dangerously inciting people or you know, doing something that would have been a terrible... Of course. Well, so are you saying... The editors do have the power, and what these people are writing about is that the editors are abusing the power in that they're one-sided in their political.
0: Some group. of them are. Some of them are. I'm not. I'm not defending that. I mean, I think Andrew Sullivan is kind of a a unicorn anyway, and I subscribe. By the way, I subscribe to his uh, his his blog. I guess you'd call it. Uh, no, I would have let Andrew. So I mean, presuming he didn't. Uh, uh, go over the edge, but if he wrote a critique of Black Lives Matter, I have no objection to that.
2: In regard to the protest, well, let me point that out: he's not against Black Lives Matter, but yeah. it was all protest, etc. Yeah,
0: I mean, no, I'm very, I'm very, uh, I'm very uh, uh, rigorous about that kind of stuff. I wouldn't, uh, I, if I had an opinion columnist, I'd let him. That's why he's there. Yeah. I want to go back to uh, another point, which is that the the a lot of the response of the Trump people is to the authentic provocations of the wokeness. I mean, they're not, they're not dumb and they don't want people telling them how to talk. Uh, and they, uh, and, and they know that there's hypocrisy in the woke group (laughs) probably exceeds their own. So the big, the underlying issue in the, uh, uh, in the election, and I think an explanation of why the Republicans did so well, much better than Trump did, is that people found Trump objectionable, but they also found a lot of Democratic policies objectionable, and so they so Biden didn't get the normal congressional lift that a winning uh, candidate gets. There's a big problem with woke. Politics and woke culture a huge problem and uh, and that's only going to be resolved when woke culture calms down. I mean the, the, the people who are objecting to a lot of woke culture are absolutely right.
3: What would you describe as woke culture? because I've heard it described in different ways. What's your take on it?
0: Well, there there are different aspects of it, but one of it is stigmatizing people for Conduct or opinions that they may have had 20 years ago Uh, I think the idea that Columbus was mean to the indigenous people Is as in a reason to tear down his statue is ridiculous right. I think the 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 fact that uh, uh, that Thomas Jefferson had slaves. They all had slaves
3: right.
0: Uh, the guy who Francis Scott Key had slaves I just read that. You can't, you have to, you, people have to be judged by the the mores and the ethics of their time.
3: Right. And uh, the Star-Cangled Banner speaks of slavery, by the way. So huh? it's also cancel culture. It's also... Oh, and an
0: outrageous thing was the Times 1619 Project. Yes. I mean, that's ridiculous. If you want to say that you want to date America, the foundation of America, you do the Mayflower Compact, which was around the same time, which set the kind of standard of representative democracy in its own little way and religious toleration and so on. So they, they provoke people by uh, uh, doing this giant research project that has a false premise. And then they, they, then they refuse to accept that they have a false premise and they take one word out as if to uh, to cover them. No, I think the woke thing is a, is a huge problem, and it has, it involves personal conduct, historical evaluation,
3: uh,
0: a whole raft of things, and everything Judgment, can be, right. huh? Judgment. <laughs> yep. and, and the idea that you won't let people speak at colleges, right. oh, is bizarre. It's nuts, and it won't sustain. It will not sustain. So that will burn out in a way as will some of the right wing hysteria when Trump is out of the picture, but it's not going to get resolved. And yes, the culture is debased. It's been debased for a long time. And and every new innovation, every innovation doesn't help to clarify and purify it. It helps to further uh, abuse it. In the, in the old days, You know, A.J. Liebling said freedom of the press belongs to the guy who owns it. And, and there were gatekeepers because it was expensive to own a printing press. And so people of certain wealth controlled the press. Well, now anybody can put anything on Facebook or Twitter or now Parler or Parlay, whatever they call it, uh, and it gets distributed around the world. So that is a chaotic situation. And everybody who can crawl out from under a rock on either side of the politics can express themselves and find followers. It's a mess.
1: It's hard for editors in this world. Oh, it's
0: terrible. I I thank God every day that I'm retired (laughs) because dealing with this situation would be impossible.
2: So, Ed, I have a question. Do you think, given that that is a very accurate description, very well said, by the way. I Thank you. <laughs> um, do you think that there will be any role for legacy media? Do you think the idea of legacy media will disappear over the next?
0: No, no. There's always going to be a part of the segment of the population, maybe people of wealth people who have an intellect who need information. And it's interesting to me that among the publications that are still doing well, are The Economist, The New Yorker, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal and The Washington Post. And they're all doing well, not only because of Trump, but because they are sources of information that people who need to know, I'm not saying everybody likes them, but people who need to know what's going on can find the information there. Uh, So there's always going to be, and maybe it'll be a subscription thing rather than than a, a mass circulation thing, but there will be quality press in America because there has to be.
3: God bless you. Great words to end by and live by, thank you.
1: Thank right. so for being with All us. All right,
0: ladies. Nice <laughs> to talk to you.
1: You've been listening to the News Broad's with Gina Cerrito, Judy Licht, and Lynn White. And our editor is Jeremiah Bruckart.